back to the 26th episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. When Q Williams was young, he was a three-sport athlete. During high school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Williams was quickly falling in love with football and baseball. Soon, the Toronto Blue Jays came calling. They drafted Williams as a high schooler in the 38th round in 2008, but he decided to forego Major League Baseball in lieu of a college education at Northwestern. The Wildcats recruited Williams to play both football and baseball for them, and he jumped at the opportunity. I, I grew up playing two sports, actually three sports, and then I just specialized in football and baseball my sophomore year of high school. I mean, I, I just love both sports. I was doing really well at both of them, uh, football and baseball. And I, actually out of high school, I was drafted by the Blue Jays in a very late round, like the 38th round, which was great. Um, however, I knew I didn't want to go like right out of high school. I, I knew I wanted to, if I wanted to go pro, I wanted to wait until after college. I, I was really focused on getting, getting a good educa- education. And quite honestly, like I've always seen sports as a training ground for my life. It was a way for me to get reps in at mental toughness, at discipline, at structure, and creating the right habits that would set me up for a life of success. And um, I think like, you know, when I chose to play two sports, like um, if I could, if I could look back and, and go back and change anything, maybe, maybe I would have just stuck to one, you know, in, in college. But I think at the same time, it it made me a really well-rounded, you know, player. I think that really being recruited for, for two sports, like they know that you're going to be like kind of like cross training, basically. And you're going to be training different parts of your brain and parts of your body in a way that'll usually lead to less injuries, usually lead, lead to more athleticism, you know, so to speak. Um, not to toot my own horn, but like, that's what a lot of uh, college coaches, at least at that time, were looking for. So uh, it was kind of a no brainer for me. They have an interesting rule in the NCAA where if you are going to play football in college, your scholarship has to be with football. It can't be through some other sport. And that keeps football from getting basically free players from the baseball team or the track team or, you know, some small sport that um, really needs the money, right? So um, it, it it keeps football from cheating, basically. And because um, if I would have had a baseball scholarship, football would have gotten me for free. But instead, baseball got me for free. So I had a full ride uh, for, for football. Playing two collegiate sports for a Division I school like Northwestern quickly caught up to Williams, but he didn't recognize the emotional and physical tolls the pressure was taking in the moment. I mean, I was doing everything. I was trying to do it all. And I I don't know if I really realized it, <clears throat> but I was pretty burnt out. I was burning the candle at both ends. I was trying to have a social life on top of going to, like you said, like a top 10 university now a top 10, top 20 football program and a big 10 baseball program, you know? And actually in the spring, I was expected to go to both practices um, in the springtime. So we had spring football drills. Like I I kept my entire football schedule and baseball was just tacked on on top of that. So um, that made it a little bit interesting and, and, and pretty difficult to be honest, to really excel at both sports. Plus I was playing defensive end you know, putting on weight every year, every day. And then I was playing outfield or pitching for the baseball team. And it just didn't make a lot of sense. Like for me to put on 30 pounds and then also, you know, run down a ball in the outfield, just, 
and, and lifting weights the way that I was and then also going out and throwing a baseball the way that I was was probably not the safest thing for my arm. Like overall, um, not two positions in, in altering sports that really go well together. I tend to actually operate, and I think a lot of athletes operate this way, where if you're busy, you're way more efficient and effective and you're very good with managing your time. But if you're not busy, it's kind of like, well, I'm not expected to do anything. I don't have to be anywhere. So I'm going to procrastinate on everything that I want to do. And um, so I was like far on the other end of the spectrum. I was way too busy and I was getting burnt out and my coaches could tell. And they actually recommended that I that I just stick to one, that I just go back and just focus on football. And because uh, I wasn't really getting very good at either one, you know, and that that is is really what hurt the most. It's like, I know I have all this potential, but I can't really dedicate the time and the energy and the love to it that I really want to. Looking back on his two years playing both sports, Williams says that the stress brought out in him a competitive fire on the front end, but other exhaustion to follow. I wouldn't say that I was like in a mentally unstable place or mentally distraught, but I think my body was definitely telling me something like I was just, I don't know really how I did it. Like it, it I really proved a lot to myself in those first two years. Um, but I think it really more, most so came down to like the impact that I was having, you know, and really the lack of impact that I was having. Like, yeah, I was playing baseball and I was playing football, but I was, to my standards and to the team standards, I was kind of going through the motions, you know, like I wasn't performing the way that I really wanted to, even though I was giving it my 110% effort. When he was approached by head coach Paul Stevens and advised to scale back to one sport, it was the invitation Williams needed to slow down. He broke up with me. He broke up with me. Um, and it was tough, but honestly, it was the permission slip that I needed. Like what I really wanted to do, like I never really asked myself what I really wanted to be quite honest, like, cause I wasn't really comfortable making that decision. Even if I did know what I wanted, I wasn't comfortable choosing one cause I was afraid to screw up. I was afraid to choose the wrong sport or let somebody down, you know? And so I kind of just did both. I put, you know, one foot in, one foot out. And that became detrimental to my, you know, physical, probably emotional health too, long-term. And I relied on other people to make that decision for me, to give me this some, you know, some magical permission slip to make my own choices. And um, it's interesting psychologically how I did that um, and how I've learned from that since. Like, I get to make my own choice. I get to know what I want and I get to go after it. You know, and I don't have to do everything. I don't have to have my hands in 10 buckets. I can do what I'm good at and have some variety but do what I'm good at and how, how can I, I, I want to come up with like a fun, like little saying, like do what I'm good at and also be good at what I do. His identity was so closely tied to being both a football and baseball player that making the decision to parse his activity down was paralyzing. I identified myself as a baseball player. I love baseball, but I was also like this man part of me wanted to be a football player and I wanted to prove myself and I wanted to dominate, you know, and I wanted to get my anger out too. And honestly, I think my anger kind of ran out. Like I didn't play mad anymore very often in college. I didn't play angry the way that I did in high school. Um, and you know, you're a sports psychologist. I could talk to you about this probably all day. There's probably so much there, 
but um yeah i i think identity really gets caught up in those both of those sports and letting go of one felt like i don't think i really realized it at the time but it felt like a death you know that left me um kind of not sure who i was in some ways you know like I, I just, I wanted to be both. And I, I, I think that actually would, that's me in a nutshell, like in a lot of my life is I want to be the glue. I want to be the one who doesn't ruffle any feathers, who doesn't upset anybody, who doesn't break up with the person, you know? And that leaves me in a pile of crap, you know? It's like, I'm not doing anything that I really want. I feel like I'm stretched in 10 directions and I'm not really happy, you know? Yet I'm doing so much and I feel so efficient and so effective. And yes, I'm doing a lot. I might not be doing it perfectly, but I'm doing a lot. And especially as a guy, I coach a lot of guys now. Um, as a guy, that feels really good because it feels like I'm being productive, I'm being busy. And it's also a scapegoat for me to avoid some of my deeper emotions, you know, what I'm really feeling. Looking back on his time playing football, the journey from his senior season at Northwestern to the current Q Williams also requires dealing with the implications of repeated head trauma. I've had countless subconcussive sub hits to my head, ranging from the age seven all through like age 22, 23. Um, but I do remember one specific hit, and actually I'll back up. When it comes to the concussion crisis and like CTE, most of what, um, most of what the scientists are saying is that it's the subconcussive hits, it's the repetitive head trauma, the repetitive little things that add up, kind of like, you know, hitting a, a big boulder or a stone with uh, a, a hammer over and over and over. You're making little cracks in that boulder, and eventually it'll crack. You know, it'll literally break apart. Um, but it's those micro hits that really add up, and when you don't heal the brain properly between hits. You, that adds up and it's like playing on a broken ankle. You know, what is also bad is getting a concussion, not getting it diagnosed, not get, resting from it and not getting the proper treatment. If you do that, you can risk death. Like if you go back into, you know, the sport and get another concussion consecutively, you can quite literally die. What happened to me was I got a concussion my senior year in college. I didn't know what happened. But I did start seeing double and I should have known, I should have realized, but I did not put two and two together. Uh, and you know, I'm, I have a very short memory, like especially on the football field, like I'm very present when it comes to playing sports. Like I'm like, forget the last play, like what's important right now. So when I started seeing double, I was like, I just got to fight to survive. I'm in the middle of a play. It was on a special teams play. I started seeing double and I, I was like trying to run down the field and like fend this defender away from me so I can get down to the ball carrier. And um, like, it was just so weird. It was such a bizarre feeling. And I was somehow still able to run down the field and like make it all work. And no one spotted me. No one saw that I was running awkwardly if I was. Um, and I never got diagnosed. I never got it treated. I stayed in the game. It wore off and I felt better and never, never talked to anybody about it. Um, a year and a half later, I was working in my first corporate job, uh, first startup job at home. And I started experiencing mood swings, um, nausea, um, 
headaches, severe neck pain and back pain. Um, I would walk into grocery stores and feel extremely frustrated and anxious and just over it. I just wanted to get out of there and I didn't know why. And it took me a while, but um, thankfully I worked with Northwestern and based on like all the rules that are in place in college athletics, they didn't have any reason to support me. They didn't have any legal binding agreement to support me with my head injuries because I never had, a, had one diagnosed with them. Well, I had one technically, but the one that I think was causing me problems at this point was, was not something I got diagnosed, wasn't something I mentioned in my exit interview. So they went above and beyond um, to support me, set me up with the right doctors, support me financially and get me in the right hands. And I got diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome about six months later. It was great to have a name for it and a treatment style for it. Um, it was a long path though. Like it was basically having double vision still. I was basically still seeing double. And um, after that concussion, I was still seeing like just slightly double, but slightly enough that it made looking at a computer screen like incredibly like daunting for my neck, for the muscles that control the eyes are like back here in the back of the neck. So it causes like severe neck pain. Um, it causes headache. It causes nausea because you're basically seeing double. And um, especially when you go into a grocery store, because there's so many different colors and different lines that your eyes have to take a separate picture from this eye, a separate picture from this eye and match them up. That's incredibly taxing for a post-concussion syndrome person that had that their eyes don't team up very well together. So that was that was why I was having crazy symptoms in um, in grocery stores. Post-concussive syndrome indicates that symptomology of a concussion lasts longer than the average two weeks recovery time allotted to serious head trauma. For Williams, the symptoms lasted multiple years. Research from the Concussion Legacy Foundation indicates that high schoolers who are diagnosed with concussions have a 1 in 10 chance of developing PCS. Older groups are more at risk, anywhere from 5 to 30%. For Williams, this was his cue that football didn't just exist within a bubble. It began to impact his life after college in a huge way. When I asked him if football was worth it, although he had immediately said yes, he now said, I don't know. I think if I could go back there was a big ego part of me that wanted to play the sport that wanted to be bigger than everybody that wanted to be bad than everybody that wanted to control things and lead people but i could have done that in other places you know i don't really fully buy the argument that you can you can't get the you know the lessons that you get in football the team experience that you get in football that you can't get that elsewhere what, you, what they really mean when they say that, and when I said it earlier, is that you can't get the kind of pain that you get in football anywhere else. You can't get the kind of discomfort. And unfortunately, some of that pain, including head trauma, you know, withstanding that, pushing through that, hitting people even when your head hurts, um, you can't get that anywhere else. Like hockey, sort of, but it's different. Um, soccer, sort of, like hitting the ball, but it's different. Um, 
So I don't know. I, 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 I wish I could say like, there's another place that I could get that kind of discomfort somehow, but I, I think there are like, I've, I've tried things that are very uncomfortable, that are very hard, that have nothing to do with hitting my head against somebody. I've done a lot since football. I avoided football for years. Um, it's hard for me to watch football because of what I know. When he received a bachelor's in political science and a master's in sport management from Northwestern, Williams thought that he was set up for life after sport. He gravitated toward entrepreneurship because he could challenge himself, but he found that the search for the speed and intensity he was accustomed to eluded him. When I left sport, um, psychologically, I wasn't sure what was going on. Like I was, I knew I wanted to go and be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to go join a startup or something in Chicago. I had interned at a couple startups, but I couldn't create the structure and the accountability and the fire that I really craved from sports. I couldn't get that in those environments. As stressful as they were and as cool as they were, um, I couldn't set myself down and do the work and um, I don't know, it was tough. Like w without someone kind of breathing down my neck or having expectations or kind of giving me the, the roadmap, I was like flying by the seat of my pants, you know, especially at a startup where there's very little oversight, you know? Um, and then compare that to my corporate career. I, I spent six years in, in, in tech. I worked at Grubhub in, a, in account relationships, um, like partnerships. And that was vastly different. You know, there was, there was very clear lines as to what to do and what not to do. And even in that, I wanted to kind of spice it up in my own way. He decided to learn from his PCS diagnosis and help other former football players struggling in silence. I was experiencing post-concussion syndrome, yet I also knew deep down that I wanted to support others that were worried about the concussion problem and didn't know what to do. They were confused by the science. They were confused by the headlines um, of all these former players taking their lives and whether they should be worried about that or not or what they could even do. And I, I was like, I got to start getting to work on finding solutions and finding answers for people, including myself. And so as I was doing research as to what would help people navigate their transition and navigate the confusion of CTE, I started stumbling upon some awesome resources. Um, one of the first ones was, well, I mean, the first one was yoga. Um, there's been a lot of studies about how yoga and meditation helps the brain rewire and actually rebuild gray matter in the brain. Uh, not to mention it's just great for your body after playing a big crazy sport like football. Um, so I'm a huge proponent for that. I went through my teacher training back in 2014 and learned a ton. And that helped me kind of open my eyes up to more modalities that are similar and kind of in the same vein, um, such as breath work. Um, so intense breath work, um, whether it's like transformational breath or more like Wim Hof kind of daily style breath work, both are incredibly helpful with being more self-aware, um, increasing your immunity, increasing blood flow, increasing oxidation of your blood, um, increasing cerebral spinal fluid flow so your brain can cleanse and detox. Um, and uh, I, I've also gone to countless doctors for, for my situation. So I know um, what to look out for, what to focus on when it comes to 
taking care of your brain, um, taking care of the, the functions that your brain controls, like your eyes and like your body and like your spine. Um, and how your nervous system is really all connected to your brain. It's really all like your brain is your nervous system at the core of it. More practically, I started experiencing um, and exploring men's work and men's groups in particular. I started seeing how powerful it was to sit in communion with guys in a way that I you know, couldn't sit with girls. Uh, there was a camaraderie and a value that I got from sitting with other guys that, you know, um, people that, um, that associate as, as men, as male. And the value that that creates, and uh, I'm actually about to go in the men's group in a couple hours, uh, virtually for about, about an hour and a half. And it's a staple of my week. And it's a staple of connecting to myself, sharing, really connecting with my emotional body, my, my emotional state, sharing that and practicing that, practicing like being attentive to my emotions and being vulnerable about them um, in a, in a smart way, in a, in a, you know, strategic way to actually create more connection in my life, create more impact in my life, um, go after the things that I really want to do. So I just saw the value that men's groups and men's work were really created. And beyond that, I started seeing the value that coaching can create and the value of having that mentor, that third party to look down at, at what you're doing and help see your gaps, help see, see and illuminate parts of your life that could use attention, decisions that need to be made, um, conversations that need to be had and how that impacted my life and my business and allowed me to really go after really who, who Q is. That's the work that I came to, that I found, that I experienced and now I teach and I coach. And so I've developed a process, a method called the world-class method and I take these big, you know, obtuse ideas and concepts and I boil them down to simple, uh, it's a simple process for former athletes to really digest and to apply their lives. Williams now helps the exact demographic he used to be. As a mental performance coach, he works with former athletes on identity post-sport, clarity, and identifying parts of yourself that shine through once sport has been removed. He does challenges on his website, q-williams.com. He also formatted an archetype quiz that seeks to define the kind of person you are outside of sport. The link to that is in the show notes. It's a quiz where I'm basically, it's 13 questions. It takes less than five minutes, probably two minutes. And through these 13 questions, I'm trying to see how you experience the two very important things in the real world. How do you relate to and approach responsibility? Do you love more responsibility in the workforce, in relationships? And you know, do, do you want more things on your plate? Do you crave that? Um, and then, or do you not? Would you rather someone else do that, have all the responsibility and just kind of, you know, kind of skate into the radar? The second component is visibility. Do you want to be the one that has the microphone that is representing everyone that's wearing the team uniform that is like, look at me, has a spotlight on them? Or would you rather be the person that kind of flies in the radar in the same way um, and doesn't need all the attention, just wants to do their job, you know, just wants to be a part of the team. The message that I try to tell is that doesn't matter what archetype you are, um, there's an opportunity for you to be the MVP, no matter what. Um, and as you'll see, like, 
when it comes to team captains for a football team, for instance, there's someone from every position group usually. There's a, an offensive lineman who doesn't need the, the visibility. They don't need all the responsibility in the world. They just want to do their job and they want to do it well. You'll often find that person as one of the four captains, just as much as you'll see the quarterback and the wide out who has all the attention on them, all the responsibility in the world, right? And so there's an opportunity for everyone to lead at world-class team captain levels. Williams works with a variety of men, doing weekly coaching sessions and sharing implementable tools meant to build confidence and clarify a life mission. He has seen the mental lows of life after football and the ramifications of living post-concussion. His hope is to impart wisdom on those currently struggling. The memories, the experiences, like what those trophies represent for me, my memories, the, um, the lessons that I learned, the person that I am because of that sport. And when it comes to brain injury, like we know that there's only so much that we can control right now with the longevity of our brain, our mental health long-term, if you've sustained concussions and repetitive head trauma. Um, so I just try to focus on the controllables, you know, that's how I reconcile it. I just focus on the controllables. Um, I focus on ingesting uh, the right things that are good for my brain, good for my body. Um, you know, follow follow my own protocol, follow my own method and stay stay there, you know, do that the best as I can. Now that he's been removed from football for nearly a decade, Williams views college athletics from an outsider's perspective. Most people say this, um, but I'll, I'll echo it. I think you do start to realize how much of a business sports really are um, as you get older and as you progress into the college and potentially pros. Um, and my dad used to call that politics in sports and he hated it. You know, every time he would witness like a coach's son playing, um, he thought that was just like, you know, the worst thing. Like if, you know, a coach's son wasn't very good, but he was playing, you know, shortstop, like what's he doing out there? It's politics, you know, it's not being fair to the kids. It's politics. Um, and you know, when I really look at it, like if you follow the money, you follow the power, you follow the control, you follow the influence, you know, and as you go up in sports and in rank those, you know, that dad who coaches the team who can put his kid at shortstop is now the AD or the, um, uh, the, the, the school president or the, the, the biggest donor at the university, for instance, that um, can make tweaks, can make choices. And um, I think that's the biggest thing that I've, I've really learned is that, you know, it, it's, it's truly a business and they're, they're out there to win games. They're out there to look good, um, to make the university look good and to encourage more money to come into the university. Like a university is a business. I went to a private institution. And even if you're a public institution, that's still state dollars that is run like a business. The business nature of college athletics makes Williams even happier that Northwestern believed in him as an individual and offered to help during his time of need. He hopes that the work he does, coupled with third-party resources, can make a huge change on the concussion landscape. You can read more about Q and his journey at his website, q-williams.com. You can participate in challenges and schedule coaching calls if his story and the work he currently does resonates with you. You can also follow him on Instagram at qwilliams underscore and Closer Mentality on Instagram and Twitter at Closer Mental. 
If you would like to listen to Q's full interview, head over to Closer Mentality Uncensored on YouTube. The link to all those videos is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. See you next week.